You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the Batter Up podcast for the 27th of May, or at least parts after the 27th of May, we record on the Wednesday after the Tuesday where Major League Baseball has submitted its second round of proposals for the players. And let's just say it was met with some of the similar acrimony that the first one was meant for. Will Pelagic, Joe Patrick, Caleb Johnson here with you on Batter Up, a Radio.com, a 99 The Game exclusive. Say hello to my two cohorts. Hello, Joe Patrick. Willie P. Hello, Caleb Johnson. Happy birthday to the legend, Andre Three Stacks. Love it. Love how we get started out on a a good note. I had to get that in there. I appreciate that. I'm a big fan of uh, Andre Three Stacks. Big fan fan of Outkast. The whole whole bit. Why not? All right, so I'm going to start with Joe because I know Joe's bringing in a lot of the optimism. And uh, I know a lot of people people are trying to sit here and carry the water for Major League Baseball and say, this is okay, this is how negotiations go and whatnot. But I'm sorry, man. Like, this is getting out of freaking hand. And the more and more I hear from players, I just want to say, stop. You're getting dragged into this by the owners on purpose. Anything you say is not helping you. I feel like Major League Baseball players are like the drunk dude at the bar who's been beaten to death in the fight, and they don't know when to stop. It's like, dude, the fight is over. There's no way you can look good by doing this. Am I yeah, wrong? no, I mean, I, I do agree with that. Like, the players are kind of getting themselves into something that, like, it just when, whenever you, whenever they retaliate, verbally it's just never a good look you know like like you said you said it perfectly like it's exactly kind of what the owners want and it's not going to benefit them i know it's a natural reaction to have like i get it i get that like when you're upset about something you want to react in a certain way and but you know you just got to try to kind of keep your head as even as possible because that's going to be the best way for you to negotiate well here's the problem and caleb i think you spoke to this a little bit uh on one of our previous podcasts is that Number one, the owners have never uh, negotiated in good faith. And number two, there is no faith on those who report in baseball for them to actually stand up and stick up for the player's side because they don't want to jeopardize relationships with these teams and these owners. And so the players feel the need to speak up for themselves, Caleb. But in my mind... I feel like enough of this stuff is being leaked out by the league, and the league thinks it's good, but any rational person can see the players have a legitimate beef. Just let other people say it. Yeah, it is tough because when we look back at other player negotiations that have happened in the past, this is really the first time where I know so many people often are talking about you know this age of social media where people can say whatever they want, uh, but it does play into this Whereas before, 
you know, a previous player negotiations, it was a reporter reaching out to a player or a player reaching out to a reporter in order to make a statement. And there was there was some think before you speak taking place. And now because we have Twitter and because we have Twitch, there's just a lot less of that. It's more more so dangerous on Twitch because you're doing something else. And so you're just off the top you know, just spitting out whatever happens to be on your mind, at least with Twitter, you're having to physically write it out. And so then maybe there's a little bit of edit, but still we're, we're getting players responding where it's just like, yeah, at this point, you know, at, at this point, Marcus Stroman, you telling us that you're working on your life after baseball projects is not what anyone wants to hear. It, it's just... The, the owners are always going to have the upper hand because they are the, the face, they are directly connected with the team and people have this love for their team. Even though they do love players, their love for the team is usually higher and the fact that the owners are getting out what they want first and the counter to it is players crying about money and of course, and with everything that's going on right now, just n- no one wants to hear that. I think also too, and and even I, I even heard this talked about by uh, Mark Reynolds. He was on uh, Sirius XM Radio talking with Chris Mad Dog Russo yesterday, and he said, you know, look, you know, it, it just comes down to a lot of math. You know, we had already agreed to take half. We're gonna play half the games. And even if the gate makes up 40% of the revenue, where's the rest of the 60% of the revenue? Look, if, if we have to operate at a loss, why can't the owners operate you know, at a loss? I mean, I, I understand the owners, their job is to try and make money for themselves, but, but nobody's making money right now. And, and, and my, my biggest question is, why does this seem to be a problem here? And yet we're not hearing about these discussions in any of these other leagues. Like NASCAR started back up without really any fanfare. The NHL put out its return to play format yesterday. And, and money's not the holdup. It's, okay, logistics and trying to work out things with host cities. Uh, the NFL, while they've had discussions and uh, the NFLPA has said, oh, you know, we, we don't have a return to play format le- le- yet. You know, let's just chill. I don't think people necessarily envision that those two sides aren't going to have a mutual best interest to get football back on the field. So, I, yeah, I so I had a kind of a I don't want to call it a moment of genius because I wouldn't I don't want to give myself credit Ooh. like that. But uh, I'm ready. How about this? Let me let me float you guys this this idea this, mm. propo- this 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 idea that's been rattling around my brain. So, Rob Manfred went on CNN what a week and a half ago. And his, the main thing to me that he was saying was that the teams don't have the cash flow available on hand to to pay these players what they want to be paid, or what they agreed to be paid without with fans in the stadium, which is the, these prorated salaries, right? Point seated, yes. And so, to me, that's whole, that's the reason why we got this escalating wage cut structure was because you cut you you drastically cut the wages the biggest wages um in baseball and that saves you the most money it just provides the most cash available for you to pay out why don't they stack on deferred payments to get them up to those prorated 
salaries over a period of time, say within five years, like we will we'll get you, we, we will pay you to get you to that prorated salary. But in the meantime, to keep the cash, to keep the available cash flow available for us to operate, let's start at these levels. It makes most sense for us to drastically cut the highest paid players and we will get you the, the money of your prorated salary over a certain amount of time. That would solve the liquidity issue. And it would also solve, or it would lean into these billion dollar valuations that these clubs have, which has been touted by everybody when we've been talking about this millionaires versus billionaires thing. It would allow them to kind of leverage the value of their club over a period of time. Because the, the clubs aren't in a in a state of like being insolvent, right? Like the value of these teams is astronomical. So let them use that to their advantage, but you can also kind of keep cash flowing that way at the same time. I really like the idea of deferred payments. And it seems to me like that's what the players want too. And I think that honestly, it makes the most sense. So that I feel like is acting in a bit of what I would call good faith, the deferred payment style, because look, we're going to get you your money, but it's just going to take a little bit longer because of everything that's happened. I feel like the players could accept that. What it seems like the owners are trying to do is this whole idea of, well, we'll pay you this lower salary, but we'll give you a bunch of bonuses, like this whole $200 million playoff bonus thing that, that's going on. Although, it, it something didn't seem right about that, and I finally, reading a couple of different guys, it clicked that they pointed out that Major League Baseball is is maybe playing a little bit of, hey, what if the virus comes back in a second wave and we never get to the playoffs, and so yeah. then we don't have to pay that money, which just, ah, oh, man, it, it makes me kind of go back and be like, wow, they're playing it really dirty there. Well, it, I mean, they're banking on that playoff revenue, right? Yeah. Like that, that's what's going to help provide the funding for all this, and if they don't get that, then I think that, that that's what they're trying to hedge against. That, that That's the way I read it. Yeah, no, I get you. Just to play the player's side of it, and again, the devil's advocate, it's not my fault that you guys are insolvent. Like, that's... Uh, or that you guys don't have well, cash flow. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's right, well, that's thankfully, they're, they're not like many soccer leagues going on in the country that are that's going bankrupt right now. Yeah. Right. No, and again, I, I, I agree. Here's, here's the problem. Neither side is going to look good. And we were talking about this when I was on the air on Monday. If this gets to a point where... We don't have, God forbid, any baseball. No one's going to care who was winning or who lost this fight or, or who looked right. Both sides are going to look bad. And, and that's why, and I think, Joe, you said this most uh, eloquently uh, in your smattering of radio appearances this week, is that you know there's too much to lose for both of these sides to not get a deal done. The thing that, that gets me, and you were mentioning deferred payments, I thought some of the uh, initial reporting had deferred payments kind of involved and, and maybe that's just something that that was leaked uh to reporters to be like this is kind of where we think we're going to end up but we're going yeah. to try and see how much we can get up front off the top and then maybe make up deferred payments on the back end so i'm not sure i, I honestly don't know if it was reported before this but i did i remember just first seeing it on sunday i, I read it on sunday yeah in a ken rosenthal piece saying yes. that there was deferred payments. And to me, it sounded like he was talking to sources from the player side where they would actually be on board with that. 
Right. I think. I think. Um, but it's, I mean, deferred payments just seems like a very logical solution. Why to me. would, why and would the, the, why would the owners not want that? I don't know. I don't know. Having Maybe to they're pay just, the money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that's like ultimately not to have to pay. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> ultimately what, what the owners are getting, are getting to by jumping out and being like, Hey, the reason why they're jumping out in the public is, hey, we want to bring the sport back. Now, we're not actually going to pay them you know, their fair value, but we want to get the sport back. So if these players will just suck it up and play for pennies on the dollar, then everybody will be fine and everybody will be happy. It's one of those, it is, it is honestly you know, somewhat genius of the owners to kind of take on this persona, especially when kind of getting back to what Joe said, no other league is talking about money, like trying to get the sport back. No one is talking about money at the forefront. That is, you know, down on the list. Whereas major league baseball, that is numero uno. Like before we can do anything, we have to figure out the money. I I did hear Dave O'Brien talking on his podcast about how deferred payments could really substantially affect free agent deals in the future if, you know, owners could say, because there's already been these rumors about collusion, about these owners getting together and not wanting and trying to suppress salaries. And I think that those are more than just rumors. Like those are legit stories that have happened. But if there's deferred payments, that would give even more more reason for owners to try to suppress wages in that way saying like oh look at we've got all these um deferred payments we got to make we can't offer this much to free agents that are coming down these next two or three years so i mean there are kind of there's going to be negative side effects from this for the players i mean like this is this pandemic has created a huge deflationary effect within major league baseball so like the the financial structure of major league baseball was made in a honestly a period of great inflation where there's just like more dollars right and so like now that balloon has deflated and that's what all this strife is coming from it's like trying to figure out a way to now make it work make this balloon float with less air in it you know it's like they got to do something and it's happening all over the world but like the difference is that the government can actually inject money that like the tr- they can just print treasury bonds and actually keep that balloon float you know keep air in it um but major league baseball is not in a position where they have that kind of uh backstopping so there's going to need to be some hurt happening on both sides it almost seems to me like baseball is using the pandemic to address concerns that the owners have had for years which is that salaries have been increasing and a market correction kind of thing yes Mm -hmm. exactly and i feel like you know we always kind of wondered you know when the bubble would burst you know what would be too much like would would 10 years 300 million be too much or, or would 400 million be too much and and you've seen these deals go out uh for for you know players of that caliber you know the harpers the machados and people of that nature but but now i almost wonder if by just again you use the word collusion joe i'm wondering if this is going to lead to the you know the the capping artificially or or, or possibly in a way that would be more written down, but it, it might might lead to the capping of these type of salaries. Yeah, I mean, I think there we're definitely going to start seeing um, the forces of the market take place. You know, like um, 
player salaries have grown over the years because the natural market forces have made it that way. You know, like there's been more money, there's been more TV money coming into the game, more fans coming into the stadium, more fa- fans spending more money when they're at the stadium. So all these things have in, have positively affected player wage growth and things like that. And now we're going to see the opposite of that happen. We're going to see fans being tighter with their money. We're going to see ad uh, companies who could potentially advertise with Major League Baseball maybe not wanting to do so as much. We might see you know these TV contracts come down. So we're just going to see natural market forces take place. And if you have deferred payments, you're going to see um, the effects of that happen stacked on top of some of these deflationary effects that we've talked about. So it's going to be difficult. Like I really feel bad for players who are primed for like a huge free agent deal. And they'll probably, they'll still make a ton of money if, if they are deserving of so, but it's not going to be as much like, and it's not just in baseball. Like soccer players are not going to be making as much money. I've talked to Darren Eels. We've talked to him in press conferences and he's said as much that in the, in the medium to short term, there's, you know, the transfer wage, the transfer fees are not going to be as high as they've been, which have just been skyrocketing in recent years. Wages aren't going to be as high. It's going to happen in most sports. I think probably the NFL is a little bit more uh, protected from these things because just the giant, TV deals that they have in place and they aren't as dependent on fans. And they haven't um, had this season compromised the way some of these other leagues have at this point, to this point. Yeah, yeah. And I think to a similar extent, like talking about soccer, because I mentioned it earlier, like you're still going to see the big Premier League teams, Barcelona, Real Madrid, like those teams are still going to have lots of money because they have such big global audiences. But in these more localized places, MLS, these South American countries are in a actually a world of hurt. Uh, and I know I'm getting way off topic here, but it's just like we're going to see the natural force of the market have its effect on players. Uh, and it's going to be rough for them. Like, I, I just feel really bad for them. Can I ask the somewhat uncomfortable question of is this in a way sort of a good thing? Like, Obviously not having to deal with a... With How a, dare you? Right? Obviously not having to deal with a <laughs> pandemic. And it is, well, I, and I because I hate saying that because it uh, comes off like, oh, I don't want players to make as much money as they can. Like, no, 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 I am all for it. But as you were kind of alluding to, like, had we gotten to a point where it was a bit absurd, you know, these 10-year, 10 $300 million contracts, but across all leagues, like, we were we getting to a, such a gluttonous place of of making money that we needed a little bit of a of a check <laughs> uh, yeah. to get back to reality and more feasible numbers like i, I don't know <laughs> that's why i asked I th- the question i i think it's good because i think it and again i, I don't want to make it sound like i'm uh i'm ruthless but <laughs> I'm with there you. are <laughs> there are there are well, well here's said well, <laughs> here's here's the part of it. No, this is this is not a player thing. I think this is going to get to a point where we see more competitive balance because I think you're going to see owners who have no real interest of doing anything other than trying to make a profit off their sale and a profit off their team get out of the game because they can't operate under this particular atmosphere and that you're probably going to see better competitive balance in Major League Baseball and it's not going to be done by a salary cap it's not going to be done by a revenue sharing structure it's just going to be done by the fact of these guys just you know whether it's other businesses that they've gone through or just an inability to 
to keep up with the Joneses. They just they they're going to not want to do it. I, I think you're going to see some real turn, turnover in ownership, not just in baseball but in other sports, where you're going to have I think an infusion of owners that want to be in the game, and I think there are probably a lot of owners who really just kind of have the team as a little vanity plate, sure. you know, that kind of thing. So I, I feel like you know you might see you know like for example the the Oakland ownership group just put out today that. They're uh, going to not yeah, pay their minor league players anymore. But and, but there's a key part of that. They're not yeah. going to pay their minor league players at after the end of the month. But those players cannot go out and get new contracts. They're stuck right. making no money. Right. And so because of that, you know, I, I feel like you're going to see more and more of those types of stories, and those are bad for public uh, PR. And I feel like the the stain of that. And I and I'll I'll do this to connect something that Caleb said, although when I was on the air Monday, I attributed it to Joe. I apologize. But it's <laughs> very important. It's very important, I think, when you're in a situation where you have an owner who is a public face, when you have that, it is very, very hard to hide from criticism. And I'm not going to say anything about Mr. McGurk and the folks in the Braves and Liberty Media, but they are very, very easily hidden when it comes to any type of criticism because they can hide behind that corporate shield. But when you have other owners who are out there, and a lot of these owners, like we said, either have very little cash flow or are sitting in a situation where after the pandemic is over, they might not be in a good situation, I think they might be forced to sell. And I think that actually will create a better environment for baseball from a competitive balance standpoint and also from a salary standpoint. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I I do think that it would actually I think it would be a positive it, 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 to see uh, new owners new owners come in if that's the case because that would mean that the the owners that are getting out of the game have a reason to get out they probably want to like cash out you know um, they may have other financial pressures they may have other businesses they need to help support and getting rid of the major league baseball team that they own is a way to do that. Um, and I think that if you think about what kind of owner, what the mentality would be if you want to get into the sport right now, that would mean that you are probably very uh, financially secure and Savvy. ambitious. Yeah, like you would be in a position where you want to actually move the club forward. So I think it would be a good sign to kind of see that kind of thing. There are obviously exceptions. If, if for I, I, I talk about soccer a lot. Sorry, um, in Newcastle, like the Newcastle owner is trying to sell the team, and I think they had like te- an agreement in place, and, but it was with like a Saudi, uh, <laughs> like a, a prince, a prince, yeah, like someone in like government. So I don't want to see well, any it's any uh, kind of like what the Mets had going on before that sale fell through, and and now maybe we'll get an. Uh, an A Rod and J Lo partnership of of owning the Mets now that would well he said he's he said he backed out he said he backed out oh okay I missed that he ba- yeah he backed Thank out goodness. he backed I- out because I guess he because here's the thing it takes so much money to yeah. buy the team oh, yeah. and then you have to be able to you know actually pay people and he doesn't have enough yeah I think that's right. what people don't get when it comes to owning these teams is it's it's like no no no, no. it's not just that you have to be wealthy it's that you have to be so extremely wealthy that you can essentially you can pay all of these people and still go about your normal business and right like who really has that you know i mean one of the newest owners of the nba and it's it's weird to think about but michael jordan you know like like at one point 
like he is one person, but he's had to make so much insane amount of money throughout, you know, Steve Ballmer with the with the Clippers and owning Microsoft and all that kind of thing. You know, like mm-hmm. hell, it, Tillman Fertitta with the with the Rockets, he's going through a whole bunch of hell right now with no restaurants and casinos open. Yeah, yeah, I think, and he's in the the concert business, and so I I'm curious to see. You know, I really haven't heard too many major league baseball owners suffer or like come out and talk about yeah we're we're going through a really tough time like we're just I, i'm here i feel like we're hearing more these kinds of negotiations of of paying the players than we are hearing about their own personal business yeah and and we hear a lot about how the the these owners have are getting extremely wealthy based on the way that the valuation of the ball clubs has increased drastically over the period of time of them owning the team. And that is true, but the value of the team is really only as valuable as how much someone will buy it for. Right. And how much would team would, how much are these clubs who like, what is that number now? Now in this, in the wake of the pandemic, like what is that number that somebody else would theoretically come in and buy a team for? I don't know the answer to that, but it's surely lower than it would have been. And I'm not saying that these owners are like in bad shape, but there's a difference between having that free cash flow available and having the overall valuation of wealth, you know? And that's where I think, again, I think that by if you do a deferral payment scheme, you can actually lean into, you can leverage that valuation and that just general wealth and alleviate some of these free cash flow problems that some of these owners might be having. Caleb, I know that uh, you wanted to kind of take up specifically for the players. Uh, I know that you did that a little bit, but just from their perspective, uh, I know that, and again, I said it earlier, that there are points that they are making. Granted, they're not doing it eloquently, and they're not doing it in a way that favors them, but I know that, that you had some thoughts about just where they sit in this whole mess. Yeah, it's one of those uh, Brett Anderson uh, uh, pitcher. I'm trying to think who he plays for. Blinked. But anyways, um, he tweeted out something that I did find interesting amongst the players discussing this. Is He was like, this is an interesting strategy of making the, the most marketable players potentially look like the bad guys. And I think that's rather interesting. Is It, it does seem like this is the one league who... Are, are are making their top paid players their their most marketable players like Anderson saying the look like the guys who are are being you know so concerned with their money and and everything that they're they're not in you know they're not concerned about the game and you know that's what everyone wants is the pure mm-hmm. game and I, I did find that interesting because it was it was like yeah that is this is the one league where, like, it seems like everyone else is kind of, um, you know, promoting their stars and trying to work with their stars. And, you know, because obviously, like, if the NBA were to come back and LeBron James says he's not playing, then you best believe Adam Silver is pumping the brakes on whatever they're doing and is going to go directly to LeBron and be like, hey, what can we do to get you to come back where it seems like major league baseball has taken the oh no, no 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 we're going to get you to come back because otherwise you look like a jerk and we're already dealing with a league that doesn't have enough stars like major league baseball does not 
have the stars when it pales into comparison to the NBA and the NFL. And so, like you need to be you need to be making Mike Trout and Aaron Judge and guys like that and Bryce Harper happy, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. and want to come back to play because that's what's going to to boost your audience and boost eyeballs watching your game and instead it feels like we're doing the exact opposite i also think it has to do with the regionality that major league baseball has controlled and you know you think about the way these other sports develop you know fantasy football has turned nfl into a superstars league i think uh the highlight revolution when it comes to the nba has turned that into a superstars league so much of the fans spread over those sports is now superstar driven it's not city driven as much anymore yes there are hawks fans in atlanta but there are also just as many people who are happy to see steph curry when the golden state warriors come to town and Giannis when milwaukee comes to town and things of that nature and it almost gets to a point where uh you know you ask someone who they're playing tonight oh they're, they're not playing the milwaukee bucks they're playing Giannis. so they're not playing mm-hmm. the rockets they're playing harden there isn't that and and you know jerry seinfeld used to do a bit where you know it's like oh we're rooting for laundry major league baseball is one of the few sports where it feels like t- people are still rooting for laundry and that's that's the way the owners i think are selling it when it comes to the interaction with their players it's like look they're not coming to see you. They're coming to see the Braves or the Phillies. Like no, no one's coming out to see, you know, Ronald Acuna specifically. And while I think a lot of people still believe that and believe that that's the case, I do think that that there are issues when it comes to uh, the way that Major League Baseball has marketed itself, and they're using that um, that departure from some of the rest to use it as a focal point in their. Uh, in the negotiations. It seems it, like it's it working is an too. interesting. Yeah, it is an interesting observation from Anderson. I'm not sure if it's like I think it, it I I think he we he might be kind of mistaking uh the cause for the effect or the effect for the cause if uh for a famous Jack White song or White Stripe song. <laughs> um uh you know, there are some fundamental differences between baseball and basketball just in the way that stars operate like if you're if you're a basketball star you're providing way more value for the team like way more production on the court or on the field of play for the team than a baseball player does because in baseball you have a roster of 25 guys or 26 guys as it would be this year um as opposed to like or or, you know in pitchers and you have got there, just the way that the game is played is much different than uh, a basketball player can have way more influence over a game, right? So, sure. so there's that, and then there's also in in, ba- in basketball you've got a salary cap, so you've got a lot of players in that league who are kind of on a similar level of pay. Like you've got a lot of players in these different tranches of of wages, as to where in baseball it seems like you've got a lot more disparity between because there's no salary cap. These guys have really been able to use the market to get the high, the biggest salaries possible. So you've got these guys who make tons of money versus guys who make much, much less. And for baseball to be able to cut wages the way that they need to or the way that they're saying they need to to be able to operate, those guys who make those huge amounts of money just have to have their pay cut substantially. Otherwise, the only other way you can do it is by cutting pay more substantially from guys who make not as much money. So... um, 
But it is interesting. I think, but I think like his point is right that it has negative ramifications on the star players and how they can kind of market um, the game around those players. We are uh, obviously looking towards whatever type of resolution this is. What and when? I'll start with you, Caleb. What happens and when does it happen in terms of a resolution? <sighs> um. I mean, it's it seems like we're we're driving to ahead, like we're we're getting to a point where I think Joe said this in our group chat yesterday. It was kind of like now we're getting into the the tinkering of negotiations, where where instead of just bringing out an entirely different new plan, we're tuning fine points of hey, you know, don't take thirty percent of our prorated salary. You know, maybe exchange that, or maybe go for the deferred payments thing. You know, we're we're changing those little points. So hopefully, we're a couple of weeks away. I I am of the opinion that if we do not start baseball in order to to kick off the the season July fourth, like you know has been thrown out there then I think we start to hit a whirlwind of issues and if, but, when kind of thing. I I think really both sides should be working in mind that that we are in some sort of spring training two weeks before July 4th. Otherwise, you know, we've got big problems. So So we're working within a couple of weeks. Yeah, I hope we have just like a platform that these two sides can both stand on at the same time and work out a deal. Like you just hope that this, this proposal gives them just some kind of baseline to work off of, which the 50, 50 revenue split never was right. Like that was something that was just never going to happen. So that's the reason why this proposal may give, give some more optimism. I mean, we still have not seen how the players have officially reacted to this. We know that there's been a lot of bluster about them being livid or, um, discour- greatly discouraged, or however they want to phrase it, um, in reports. But hope the hope now for me is that there is actually a counter proposal made by the players, and not just a flat out rejection. A flat out rejection would be kind of the worst case scenario here. I think we have something by a week from now, because if you think about the timing, you need to, you need a two week spring training. But I think you also need that two-week period to try and, okay, get everybody acclimated and get everybody down there. Uh, you see some of these universities with some of the plans that they're coming back. I know Clemson said that they want you know, a seven-day quarantine where they're at and then a seven-day quarantine on the Clemson campus, just to use that as an example. I think that baseball is going to try to hope for something similar. And so I feel like you know, we always talk about how deadlines spur action. I think the deadline for this – is, is somewhere in the neighborhood of like a June 5th or 6th. And I feel like that's kind of the imaginary date. You know, the end of, say, next week would be like the imaginary date to kind of be, be there. Because it's not like, you know, we have a, an agreement and like tomorrow people are going to start flying. Like it's, it's there needs to be some sort of lead time and wrap up time. And I really think they want to get that July 4th date because of the optics of playing baseball on the 4th of July. We had the first time in our country not having Memorial Day games since like the 1880s. Yeah. So if, if, if that happens on the 4th of July, 
even if they get a deal done at some point, people are going to look at that and say, wow, these guys really couldn't get this done to where you have probably the most patriotic, visible symbol of our American consciousness, and you can't put baseball on this day because of things like money. Like that, that part of it to me, I feel like they, they need that more than anything. You, Joe, wanted to talk a little bit about Mike Fulton-Nevich. I did, I did. I wanted to just talk some baseball in general. Yeah, you know, like, like actual players. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it's so funny. We've been doing this show now for weeks, and it's like we hardly get to talk about actual baseball. Because it, it is harder to, to even think about, right? Like, right. You don't want to like be thinking about baseball, and then the rug gets pulled out from under you. Right. Um, but I... I'm starting to feel recently like we're at a point where we can start thinking about it a little more, thinking about the the nuts and bolts of how the Braves are going to work this season. Um, but yeah, like I actually just thought about this when I was I was flipping through. Well, actually, let me take it back. So like a few weeks ago, um, I had gone back and just decided to rewatch that first inning of Game Five of the NLDS against the Cardinals last year, just to kind of see how it went. I I think I came across it was a uh, I went back and watched the John Boy cut cut up of it and. Um, like, and, and so I watched that, felt bad for Mike Fultonevich about what happened to him in that inning. Didn't get a lot of calls uh, from the home plate umpire. Compounded on top of that was some some defensive mistakes. Freddie Freeman made a very uncharacteristic one. Of course, we know now what he was going through at the time, which almost surely affected that. Like, just the confluence of things that went into making that <laughs> making that inning what it was, right? And then just a few days ago, I was in our I was in the office uh, at 929 the game, and there was the Sports Illustrated season preview, baseball season preview in there. So I started flipping through. I went to the Braves page, obviously, to see what they were saying about it. And they were like going through the through the rotation and Mike Fultonevich, they were talking about as being like a potential a guy that could very likely be sent down to the minors or traded if he like didn't get off to a a rip-roaring start to the season. And I just think that the second half of his year last year just completely it is like totally forgotten because of the way that the season ended, obviously, and the fact that what really made a bigger imprint on people last year was how bad the first half of the season was, which was bad. But people need to remember that he had an injury in spring training that didn't allow him to pitch in spring training, so he was trying to get healthy during the season, and then we saw the ramifications of that. But after he came back from his, from Gwinnett, he had a 2.65 ERA, was 9 and 1. I mean, say what you want about win-loss record, probably it does not matter, but in 10 starts he was 9 and 1 with a 2.65 ERA. I mean, like he was so good. I think he was the Braves best pitcher during down the back half of the season last year, and I just have like I think he's going to be a huge part of the Braves rotation this year like I think he's going I, I I said I think on Andy and Randy a while back that he would like be my my bold prediction was that he would kind of be the Braves best pitcher this year and I would I, I don't think it's the most likely thing to happen but I think that I would still stand by that bold prediction you know you you saying that about Fulton and about the fact that a lot of people's opinions on him are kind of based on what they last saw of him kind of reminds me of another guy that's in Atlanta right now, but he's playing for the Falcons is AJ Terrell, the corner Mm. in, in the, this past year's national championship game, you know, AJ Terrell got torched by some of the 
best wide receivers in college football at LSU, but that's the lasting memory that a lot of people had of him. Right. And so it was interesting when the you know we heard a lot about the Falcons going through their draft pep- preparation that a lot of people had bad things to say about Terrell based on the national championship game. But it's like, well, you can't throw out the the other games in this season that you know he was so impressive and and just a really skilled player. And I I feel like the same is true for for Fulton Evich. Now, you saying that he is going to be the best pitcher in that rotation just, I mean, mean, are we we not giving Soroka enough credit for the way that he pitched last year? I mean, honestly, I think John Chuckery, who works with us at 92.9, I think his head's going to explode (laughs) if we get a season and Mike Soroka is not the number one pitcher on this rotation and the number one pitcher when we head to the playoffs. I love Mike Soroka. I couldn't tell you how many times last year where I was like keeping track to see if he was going to have a Maddox, where, which is a complete yeah. game under 100 pitches last year. Like I think he's fantastic, and I think he's going to be a great pitcher for a long, long time because of what he's got between his ears. Like I think he's just got... Um, the total right mindset. And I think that honestly is maybe one thing that holds Mike Fulty back a little bit is uh, between yeah, the well, ears. But- I guess the the thing that I have with, with Fulty is to me, he's not the best pitcher in that rotation, but he is maybe the face of that rotation because Mike Soroka is a very reserved guy. He's not going to say a lot, which kind of reminds me of, yeah. of at least what I remember of Greg Maddox. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, maybe Fulton Evich being more of that in-your-face Tom Glavin type of guy who, uh, you know, whether it's the wristband thing that got so much attention or just the fact that he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve and we got to read about those stories like him driving in the car with his wife, you know, um, headed to go play for Gwinnett and just, you know, the tearjerker kind yeah. of story that that was. So I feel like maybe he's more of the face, but at least in my opinion, I, I don't believe he's going to be the best pitcher so, in that rotation. So I don't think it's – I think the most likely thing is that Mike Soroka is the best pitcher in the rotation. But it is my bold prediction. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it, it, it's, it's not the most likely thing to happen, but I do think it is within the realm of possibility. And I want to know if you guys have a bold prediction for the season. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here, and I'm. I do. Go ahead. I do want to say one thing about Fulty real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. I know. I don't know if it's the rubber band thing or if it's what happened in the NLDS, but he just has this stigma against him as this mentally weak guy, and I really don't know where that came from. Like, 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 is that just a just a commonly understood thing? Yeah, well, and I think Joe can kind of attest to this. Uh, I only got to talk to him once last season. Uh, Joe, obviously, more than I did. But he doesn't seem like that in person. <laughs> he he gets very emotional. Like, I remember, like, earlier in the season when he was having some of those bad games, he was, like, on the verge of tears after those mm-hmm. games. And it's, like, it's things like that. You you love you love the passion, right? <laughs> but, um, but sometimes you just kind of need to be a little bit calmer and you can kind of see that demeanor happen on the mound. Sometimes he starts like getting real, real um, fidgety Finicky. with the glove. Yeah. He, he, he's kind of like, it's like, it's like he's, he's running on uh too low of a gear. It's like the revs. He's like redlining. Uh, and I think oh. that at one, at one point last year, Brian Snicker, it was hilarious. I almost started busting out laughing during the middle of a press conference or a press scrum. He was like, uh, <laughs> He, he was talking about how 
Volte got real hot during a mat during a start, and not like hot yep. like temper, but just like like his body was physically overheating, and so and like some reporter was like, "How how how did you know that?" And he was like, "Yeah, I just saw he was like he was real red." <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that. I think that was towards the end of the season, like heading okay. into the playoffs. Because I remember there was a real big question of where he was going to kind of fall in the rotation. Because, yeah, it it was. I don't I don't know that it was a day game, but it was something to no, where I, I think it was a day game. And he ta- and because like he taught we then we 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 went and talked to Mike after we had talked to Snicker and he had said that and like he had talked about how he needed to be like more hydrated or something for day games. Yeah, but I do remember because that was kind of the topic of whoever. Whoever the broadcasters were, I mean, it was probably Chip, but that they kept putting a camera on Fulty and his hat was, you know, real, just real soaked in the brim of his cap. It was sweat falling oh, down. Yeah, and I just remember because he was, he was really red, and it, and it made you think, like, was he kind of overheating a bit because of of not only you know not exactly having a great game, but also just uh just the the natural heat and then i think snicker ended up pulling him a little bit earlier than people expected Mm -hmm. and i i think that was kind of what what led to to that discussion when it comes to though joe your like your bold predictions or whatever i i thought there was going to be a pretty easy one out there that now because we've had all of this time off i'm i've become a bit concerned but I thought that Felix Hernandez was going to jump up the Braves rotation and become, and just based on his skill, kind of coming back a little bit from mm-hmm. from those, you know, probably what twenty fifteen in Seattle or something like that, um, and also based on the fact that he's a veteran and Brian Snicker loves veterans and loves guys who have who have spent some time in the league I thought he was gonna jump up the rotation to like maybe in like the third spot just throughout the season and kind of surprise people and and not necessarily because anyone was struggling but just because that that Felix was gonna end up being just so solid based on the spring that he had but who knows now I, I think Andy's kind of taken it to air and talked about the fact that you know, Felix is a little bit of a bigger guy, and so hopefully we're not we're not snacking too much and, and gonna have a problem. Well, I, I I am like just really curious about specifically about how he and Cole Hamels will be able to perform after this long layoff. That's so you know those guys have been doing this for so long. They've got their routines and they've got their kind of circadian rhythms of like how the season goes right and how how their body reacts to certain times and temperatures and all these things. Um, that they've gone through over the last 15 years, just pitching season, season, time and time again. So it will be interesting to see how those guys bounce back. You guys are talking about quirky pitchers. I was going to take up for Mark the Bird Fidrich, who uh, was always known for talking to the baseball, but he only had 29 (laughs) career major league victories. But it had nothing to do with his quirkiness. It was more because injuries and things of that nature. Although he was a two-time All-Star and an American League Rookie of the Year. I, I so like, there's that. I like talking to the baseball. There's something very spiritual about that that I like. I like quirky. I like players who do different things, who like have their ways of... 
But that's the thing: is is Fulty quirky or is Fulty mentally weak? Like that's I'm see, a, I'm okay with quirky. Yeah. See, I don't I don't buy into the idea that Fulty is mentally weak. I buy into the fact that he he quite literally wears his emotions on his sleeve, and maybe that's the I think him doing that is partly what makes him such a great pitcher but then in the same aspect can make him struggle so much is because that gets into his head and and if he starts struggling then you know he's he's essentially talking to himself like come on like figure it out you know kind of thing like like yeah i i I see him as a guy who maybe if there weren't cameras on him you know would be like physically punching himself like you know figure it out are you are taking that on, that rubber band that he wears and kind of <laughs> popping his wrist like come on man you, you make him sound like yeah, he's gonna I mean, be you I know think... plucking his own eyebrows yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do think that what he went through last year was like a huge moment of growth for him um in in kind of being able to channel a lot of that emotion like he talked he's talked about i would highly recommend anybody going back he talked with dave o'brien and eric o'flaherty for like over an hour on their podcast over on the athletic i recommend anybody going over and checking that one out um but i mean like he was just so down in the dumps you know when something like that's the lowest point of his career and um sometimes it takes those low points in your life and not just like for Mike Fuldenevich, but for anybody um, that sends you then on a trajectory upward where you take your failings and you learn from those mistakes and it makes you a better person, a better player, like whatever the situation is. And I, I just think that we are going to see that from Fultonevich. I think we're going to see a different, I think we're going to see the arm talent uh, gel a lot more with like a more mature person. My bold prediction for 2020 for the Braves when baseball comes back is we're not going to be talking about Austin Riley and Johan Camargo. We're not going to be talking about not having Josh Donaldson. We're going to be talking about the fact that Marcelo Zuna had a very key impact on the lineup in multiple mm. ways. Number one, he's batting behind Freddie Freeman, so you're seeing better pitches. But if you think about the fact that he had the kind of effect on Giancarlo Stanton that helped him get that big mega deal to the New York Yankees. Giancarlo had his best season with Ozuna batting behind him, had more than 30 home runs, I think 116 RBIs, and Ozuna had a pretty good season back in his own right. He didn't really have a lot of protection when he was in St. Louis, and because of that, I think you saw his uh, his numbers, especially his power numbers, drop. I think those are going to get really inflated now especially when you think about what's in front of Freddie and also the fact that he's behind him I think that I'm not going to say he's going to make people forget about them not signing Josh Donaldson but I think you're going to see the impact in Freddie's numbers his own numbers and I think he lengthens the lineup I think in a way that you probably weren't sure Josh Donaldson could have going into this season especially thinking about the type of decline that people expected from him going into this season. Yeah, that's a good call. A couple things on that, and I want to credit John Chuckery from 90, from our our station, 1990 Game, for saying this. Uh, keep an eye on Freddie Freeman's walks this year. I think the amount of walks that Freddie Freeman will get is will will be telling as to how willing pitchers are to face Ozuna, like how effective he is going to be at at making contact. And, I, and that's his biggest problem, right? It's like he he's got to. Um, put the ball in play, which he didn't do as much last year. 
and hopefully he does more this year. I think if he does, you know, he has the the potential if he can repeat that his best season that he did uh, that he had with the Marlins. I mean, then I think the Braves are getting an absolute steal. I also want to say how kind of fortunate when we think about the current situation that Major League Baseball is in. How fortunate are the Braves that they didn't do a four-year deal for Josh Donaldson at a high number, and the fact that they got Ozuna and Cole Hamels on one-year deals. So after you know, after this year, they don't have that money kind of dragging behind them like a like a dead weight. You know, um, not to, they they not can to actually. Yeah, and they could renegotiate with they, those guys for for more one-year deals. They could, but just generally, the Braves, I think, they just don't have money tied up, so they will be able to react to the conditions of the market that will make contracts a lot cheaper in free agency. Like, we're not going to see the free agent deals we've seen in the past. We're going to see much cheaper deals, and hopefully the Braves have the cash available and are willing to spend enough to be able to capitalize on the situation that they have found themselves in. Yeah, I don't want to, like, toot my own horn, but I I think it was our second podcast that we did that I, I did say I think now because of coronavirus, I think the, the Braves will be looked at and specifically AA will be looked at as really smart, really savvy for not signing Donaldson and going after the one-year deals. I I. Th- Personally, and this is just uh, maybe this is more of my bold prediction. I should have said earlier. I think we'll be looking at the one-year deal of of Cole Hamels and and crossing our fingers, wishing it to be over. But with I just because maybe maybe it's a personal thing too. I've never liked the guy. He played for the Phillies, so I always like to root <laughs> against yeah. him. Yeah, and I yeah. just, I don't have a lot of faith in him. I don't think that the, what we, it was like a $30 million deal. Wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not that high. I, no, it was, 18, it was like 18. 18. 18. Yeah. Okay. 18. There we go. There we go. Uh, but yeah, I think it was one of those that, that not that the Braves will necessarily regret, but it was just like, whoo. I mean, we glad that that one year deal is over. We still don't even really know what his physical condition is, you know, like we like last time we heard from him, he was hurt. So who knows how he's going to come back? You just don't like that. He has a little boy haircut. It's okay. No. Well, (laughs) he he has a punchable face. That's that's what it is. Andy and Randy talk a lot about about guys who have punchable faces. He's got one. And I'm sorry. And I want to punch it. It's just it is what it is. I think we've shouted out more hosts from our radio station on this show than any podcast we've done yeah well it's funny that you say that because because i said something about chuckery earlier then joe threw out chuckery and uh i was in my head like i hear a scenario where john chuckery is complaining about cole hamels (laughs) and the 18 million dollars that the braves gave him but on the other hand i i will kind of piggyback on the idea that the marcelo zuna deal will end up being a good deal also for the fact of at least to my understanding, I mean, he is going to be the, the DH, right? Like, we're we're going to have probably Nick Marcakis out in the field or some maybe kind vice, of platoon. Maybe vice, maybe vice versa, honestly. I feel like, you know. See, I feel like they would want Ozuna just at the plate, and they would want Marcakis's glove out in the field. But 
I don't know. I think, I think you know, we've talked a lot about um, the DH kind of being settled because now you can get at-bats for Riley and Camargo. I think we're going to see a little bit more rotation of who is in the DH spot than people are expecting right now. I do think that the Braves will try to get Austin Riley as many at-bats as possible, so I think that we may see him playing in the outfield a little bit. We may be, see him play third base at times. And I think that the Braves have lots of options that they can kind of cycle through that DH. So I think that it's a perfect opportunity to try to, you know, get some guys some rest because we know that it's going to be um, probably even more of a compressed schedule than a normal baseball season would be, which is already, you know, pretty, pretty, um, you know, you're playing every day. So I think that it's going to be rotating around a little bit more than people have been talking about. But I, I do think that it, it does serve the Braves to try to get at Riley as as consistent at bats as possible, as long as it's obviously not a detriment to the team. Either one of you guys wanting to fight for the end of National League Baseball as we know it with uh, no pitcher hitting, maybe beyond next season yes. if possible? Yes, I'm sorry. I think I said this last week. It's one of those. I love the the stories of getting to see Bartolo Colon knock one out of there. I love Madison Bumgarner getting up there and looking like he belongs in the lineup at bat. But there are so, so many bad pitchers at the plate. And we know, oh, there's an out or, you know, there's a bathroom break coming up uh, or, yep, yep, he's going to lay down the bunt and is he going to screw it up kind of thing that I think for the benefit benefit of the game that, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I, I kind of, I hate that I'm siding the way Caleb is going because I'm, I, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm, yeah, I, I heard you talking about this, Will, uh, over the weekend and I'm kind of the same way. It's like, I love the dynamic of, having to manage around having a a guaranteed out in your lineup but at the same time it's like man it's such a drag when you see like you got guys on base and the pitcher's coming up or like you know the eighth guy's getting walked because the pitcher's coming up next and it's going to end the inning you know like things like that is just it's it's a it's a major drag like and like caleb said it's like yeah time to go get a well, hot dog or something and, and it, yeah it's, it's one of those things that a lot of people who will talk about strategy and scenarios that could have happened in the game that is now going away you know when we when we got rid of the the four pitch walk where now there's just a a signal shown well now we missed the opportunity for a wild pitch bringing in a run so sure yeah w- mm-hmm. which we have seen but more times than not, we just wasted time while a pitcher threw four balls way outside. And, you know, for in order to speed up the game, it was kind of like, well, we don't need to see that every time. In the same respect, it's one of those, yes, will we miss out on opportunities of something crazy? I keep, I keep bringing up Bartolo, but it's because of the fact that the dude swung the bat and knocked his own helmet off. Like, he was an embarrassment <laughs> at the plate. But one time, he finally connected with the ball and sent it into the stands. Sure, we'll miss out on those opportunities, but I think we will get more opportunities where having that DH influences the game more in a positive way, brings more offense, mm-hmm. and, and will make each individual game more watchable. I mean, just how many great DHs do we have or have we had in the past in the American League that have you know they've made the game more enjoyable. Stars, yeah, um, yeah. Been... I'm I'm glad you brought up the four pitch walk. 
uh, or the intentional walk. I remember just back to an old Braves game when they were playing the Mets and Armando Benitez threw a wild pitch on an intentional walk. And the oh, yeah. Braves blew that chance in that game late. It was like the ninth inning or whatever, and they ended up blowing the chance in the inning, and then the Mets ended up winning it in the tenth on like a uh, a walk off single by Ray Ordonez. I mean that that's that's the kind of crap that's infuriating for a lot of people. It seemed like it happened kind of it like ramped up where like all of a sudden you were starting to see more and more pitchers like incapable of of throwing the intentional walk. You know, right. it's kind of like how, you know, like, so, like some pitchers, like, cannot throw the ball to first base or whatever. Right. So, like, yeah. Some just, like, could not hit the yeah, pitcher's John glove Lester. trying to throw that way. Yeah. John but, Lester was one that, with the Red Sox, he never would throw because, he, you know, it was never on target. And I think it was the year that he played with the Cubs that they won the World Series that it was him picking somebody off that yep. was such well, a big deal. Well, you know the, the character in Major League Two? Rube Baker, the guy who the catcher who can't throw the ball back to the pitcher. He's yeah. he's based off a real guy. He's based <laughs> well, off a of Mackie Sasser. Jared Saltalamacchio <laughs> was another one. Yeah, Jared Sal- Salty. Yeah, yeah, he was one that he, couldn't throw it back to the pitcher. He he'd airmail it over his head. And crazy. so, like, we still have those opportunities to happen. You know, <laughs> I, I I I'm glad you mentioned lots of shenanigans. You know, me talking about that earlier this week, Joe. Yeah, about three years ago, I would have been a pitcher hitting for himself stand but I just I can't I I don't have the energy and I also when you think about the fact that they're the only league in all of baseball professional or amateur that doesn't use a DH anymore it's it's very very hard to take up for it so I think it's gonna go by the wayside you know just done fighting the fight you know yeah yeah I've I've exhausted I've exhausted all the bullets It's Put also the sword yeah, in me. It's just been the it's been the yeah, serenity now. It's always give a, been give me a soldier's death. It's been the weirdest Gladiator. thing that to have a sport where both leagues don't play with the same rules. Like it's just it's just it's so strange. It's honestly it's one of those things. It took a friend of mine who is not a baseball person at all. He is a big time football guy. Uh, my my buddy Joey sitting with me at a game and just debating with me where I, I at that point was kind of going with well no this is the norm like this is what we've always done da 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 kind of thing and then it's like but you're playing with two separate sets of rules yeah. so how like how it's how like, are we even you know it's like what if like the NFC played with ten players on the field instead of eleven sure. you know <laughs> yeah or you know or. Or, like, the NFL right now is dealing with the onside kick versus 4th and 15 kind of thing. What if the NFC was onside kick and, you know, the AFC was 4th and 15 to... You know, it's like, it feels like one side, obviously, is benefited more than the other. And so, it, it's so bizarre. Especially when... It used to always be that the National League had better pitchers. But I don't necessarily think that is the case. So... Why not? Why not play with with even rules and just obviously more offense? I want more my, offense. My only reticence again is uh, I would want a year's worth of lead time just so you're not you're not you're not putting this sure. and usurping this on a team in an off season where they have to go find a guy and 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 they're at a disadvantage where basically you know the only thing they're really using the DH for is to give like a day off to their catcher or something like that. Like I I would want to have a year's worth of lead time to go out and actually develop or have somebody who can play that position who could uh, actually be a, a contributor at that position. 
that'd be my only real reticence to it. Uh, did you guys see the uh, the tweet that was floating around uh, about the batting stances? Like, which batting stance would you emulate? Yes. Yep. All right. And I've got one. When you sent that over, I immediately knew. Um, Same. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll, I'll start with you, Joe. Go ahead. Gary Sheffield. Okay. Yeah, that was cock, one that like, was cocking yeah. the bat. You know, you couldn't actually do it with like a like an actual heavy bat, but if you had like a, we would play like home run derby with those little like um, souvenir bats. Oh yeah. And so that was always fun to do it with. I would never. I would never. I I could not pull it off in like an actual like little league game, but uh, who's more of like a front yard baseball type of thing. So I feel like the the want was to always have that crazy wide stance you know with the back cocked up but uh when will when you sent this to us it was kind of like who did you try to who did you try to be like i went from well who did i try to have a batting stance like and then who did i end up having a batting stance like and when i actually played i was much more like an ichiro in the plate just really? very stiff and upright. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those. Uh, I when I was thinking back about that, it was like, yeah, I I very much was was more condensed and upright playing myself, you know. Versus, uh, um, I'm I'm trying to think now. I'm blanking on a name. Who was it that used to go from one side of the box to the other? It was just a uh, hundred pence. Yes. That's who it was that that he almost you know, has like the soft he almost has like the softball uh stance mm-hmm. kind of where he's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, running was, up to it. Yeah, it was one of those where he, I think he had to shorten it a little bit because it got so ridiculous where he was outside of the yeah. of the box that that he had to shorten it a little bit. But I feel like you know, backyard baseball kind of thing, that was it to try to make that strike zone as small as possible when you're when you're playing. But yeah, as far as when I when I took a shot at at you know trying to play baseball as a kid, even up and through being a freshman in high school, very much more Ichiro and uptight and condensed and very bad. I was a very bad baseball player. That's why I'm <laughs> yeah, thankful I, I get to talk about either. it now. I feel somewhat <laughs> guilty with my answer because my answer is is a is an Atlanta villain, uh, and this is coming from somebody who despises the New York Yankees. Like I despise the New York. Like I. I wouldn't date a woman because she was a New York Yankee fan because she was trying to get me to wear a Yankee hat. She made she was trying to make me put on a Yankee hat in a store like in a lids to see what it would look like and I'm like no I would not do this. I would if if I'm sitting there and I'm unemployed and the New York Yankees called me, I would rather I would sooner rather pledge my allegiance to Satan than work for the New York Yankees. Like that's for- that's, for, that's, see, that's what it is. For, the, for those ex- for for those listening, we're 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 also watching each other on Google. I can see the blood vessels popping out of Will's neck as he's as he's talking about this. So the point is, <laughs> the player, and again, unintentionally, the player that I unintentionally had like a batting stance of was an Atlanta villain, and it was Jim Layritz. Like I had wow. the I had the you know yeah, the real the, twirling the real twirl I love to twirl the bat I used to you know I I had very uh, with the with the feet my feet were very busy so like I was I, I was a pest in the plate like at the plate like that I would twirl Wait, it around so like that Did you have like the toe tap going Oh yeah I was a toe tap I, oh, I had no. wide See, feet that I had is- everything. 
I'd that never is been my going. Thing. That's always been my thing is that I never I, – I couldn't move. Like if I was doing something else, that was always going to throw off my swing. Like I was – like I would, you know, I, I basically was in there like I was walking on coals. I was just like, you know, I had <laughs> – I, I was twirling the bat. I had my, my, my feet were happy. I was, I was a coach's nightmare. I, I couldn't do anything right. And again, I did I did it to very to very little effectiveness, but that was just how I was comfortable, you know, standing in the box. But yes, hate also, Jim Leyritz, hate the Yankees, but yet that was basically the the stance that I emulated completely unintentionally. Well, if the New York Yankees or Yes Network want to hire me, I will gladly take that job. I mean, I absolutely hate the Yankees, but uh, I've I've had this discussion with friends that that work in the business before that if if you're if your nemesis team came calling, you know, if the if the New Orleans Saints needed a broadcaster and they called me, yes, like I just <laughs> without hesitation, come on, a job's a job. But uh, I guess, Will, you're a little more, a little more passionate and just can't do it. Can't stand the Yankees. I, 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 think, I think it's his girlfriend. I, th- I think it's this, no. for, this former girlfriend. That's <laughs> yeah, I know. Some no, bad blood air. The, the vivid memory of <laughs> she tried to place a hat on my head. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. It wasn't even a girlfriend. It was so. It was. It was someone who was petitioning to be a girlfriend. Oh. oh. It, it was. It was dropped. Oh, so the, wait. The, did the, Will? Did Will get spurned? And then that has brought about the hate. That's not true. That's definitely not true. This is totally a decision. It was my decision. Okay. All not right. hers. It's totally <laughs> right, my decision. It's totally my decision to her. Um, I don't know if we have enough time to get into this just because we've gone so long, but did we want to talk about Bob Nightingale saying that we might have a realignment at the end of the 2021 season? He said that maybe the Braves would be in some sort of like, like they would realign the Easts where like the, the NL side would be a more of a Northeast division and then the AL side would be a, a Southeast division or vice versa and that the Braves would be in a division with the two Florida teams and maybe the Phillies and or Cincinnati or Washington. Is this moving forward or just for this season? He says it's been a part of the 2021 CBA negotiations and been a part of the things by the uh, for a while because of the fact that uh, I guess because of the fact that you have more teams in this in this region that it would make more sense to have them you know to minimize travel be in the same division. I'd take that as a bunch of smoke. I I don't know. I I personally wouldn't put much stock into it just for the pure fact of there's so many other things that they're trying to worry about right now. That to throw that in there, especially how passionate that the Brave stance has been, I, I think they would. Um, no, obviously, I, I think under this conversation, <laughs> yeah, let's, get, let's get Terry McGurk's opinion yeah. on this. <laughs> yeah, I think under this conversation, like the Braves aren't moving divisions, but changing teams and things of that nature. I think uh, unless you're bringing in new teams and need realignment. I don't, you know, like back when the Braves were playing in the West kind of thing, you know, like right. unless you're you're uh, you're dealing with that kind of thing. I, no, I, I don't think they're going to be realigning any teams. Yeah, I, again, I, I was I was very surprised when you brought it up. I, and yeah. I, I, I even had to ask him on a follow. I'll be like, Bob, you, you, you piqued my interest there. Like, like, what the F, you know? Am I wrong? Yeah, I wonder if he was a spitball. I don't like. I was listening because I was working that day. I was in a side production studio. I was just like, what did he just say? <laughs> exactly. I mean, well, it's one of those 
Bob, you, you you ran out of stuff to write about, and now yeah. you're just gonna kind of <laughs> throw something out there that everyone hey, goes. Hey man, that's what? Bob. That's my that's my guy. Don't 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 get on no, my no, guy. No, he's a good guy. No, I I mean, look, he's a valuable source of information. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you got to put food on the table, and so when <laughs> things get a little rough, um, you're like, hey, let's throw out this scenario because I feel like I feel like my brain doesn't go to making up scenarios or just kind of seeing like i wonder if this possibility would exist but for guys that that their brain does operate that way i mean it's interesting i just don't think it's something that major league baseball is going to bite on bob by the way said today there is no hard deadline but if the two sides reach an agreement by about june 6th their season could still start by july 4th i believe yeah. some i believe one of us said that during when, this is, podcast. when, when, when is june 6th that's, that's next today. Friday. Today's next Friday. 27th. That's, that's next Friday from when we uh, from when we've recorded. I mean, we need. 2000. <laughs> Thank you, Apple Watch. <laughs> yes, we we need. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> we need Aaron Judge carrying an American flag, running out in the outfield, kind of like like we need that moment recreated with this July Fourth date. That's that's why I've always said if if we push it beyond that. Then we can't bring in the patriotic aspect, which is just right. deeply ingrained into the game. Get Mike Piazza out there yeah. hitting a celebratory uh, kickoff home yeah. run. You keep using that damn line, <laughs> Mike Piazza celebratory it's home run. It's because of the 9-11 thing. What, yeah. is, what is your freaking beef with that? That was a <laughs> no, great it's moment. Just, it's my it bit. Is, it's my bit, and I'm sticking it is, with my yeah. bit. It's definitely a bit for you. But it I've is heard also you say that just, no less than five times. It is stamped into people's brains when it comes to there was this major tragedy. Yeah. Now we've got a new major tragedy, even though obviously not in the same respect. You know, not terrorism, but but a, a virus that's affected so many people that were when the game gets back, especially if we can do it on July 4th and yes. bring in that patriotism aspect into it, we're going to have a player or a moment that is just stamped into our brain. And so, I mean, that's, you know, Piazza was that for, for 2001. It's going uh, to be Austin Riley hitting a walk-off home run. No. No? No? No. <laughs> What if? What if it's who would be, the who would be like? Who would be like the most Americana player to Charlie? Charlie Culberson. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Culberson. Charlie Culberson hits a walk-off grand slam off Sean Doolittle, and the Braves beat the Nationals. That'd be awesome. We'll see. Like, can I? Uh, I I almost want to like sprinkle in a little. What if it was Acuna? What if it was someone who's not naturally. Uh, a English-speaking person, you know, to kind of, hey, that's 2020. That's That'd be fun, too. Yeah. That'd be fun, too. I think it'd be good. <laughs> well, this got weird, as we always <laughs> does. Um, thank you guys, as always, and thank you for listening. Again, you can download the Batter Up podcast on radio.com or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to subscribe to it and also be looking for our next podcast, which will come uh, within a week's time. If we do get, again, some sort of agreement, we will come back and do an emergency podcast. And Joe is going to wake everybody up at 3 o'clock in the morning when that happens and mm-hmm. uh, basically putting you uh, in charge of that one, Joe. It's the dream. It's the dream. Thank you, thank you guys so much for listening. For Joe Patrick, Caleb Johnson, I'm Willie P. Saying so long, and thanks for listening to Batter Up, a Radio.com, a 92.9 The Game exclusive. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.